Well, hey, good morning. How's everybody doing? For those of you who don't know me, my name is Scott, one of the pastors here. Uh, the guy without the hair, Pastor Paul, he'll be back with you next week. So uh, you've got the guy with the big wig on this morning. Um, hey, I just wanted to, to uh, extend a warm welcome to you guys, whether you're a first-time guest or you've been here a while. I'm super grateful for this, uh, this amazing spring break. Am I enjoy that? Um, beautiful weather, azaleas, blossoming. Um, also, been able to, maybe some of you guys watched some March Madness. Uh, got your bracket just destroyed this past week like I did. Uh, maybe some of you guys are doing some spring cleaning with spring break. Um, but I also want to highlight for you a lot of, if you didn't know this, a lot of our high schoolers went over to New Orleans along with some adult leaders, and uh, they served this past week. Um, and so some of them are probably coming in a little bit tired this morning, but thank you, high schoolers, for serving and living out the gospel. They're in, in NOLA. Um, and I was thinking about spring break as well because um, it's an opportunity for us just to, to, to think about and to dream about what God has in store for, that, for us. And so if you did not recognize this or if you didn't see this, this is a little uh, card for you. Um, it's hard to believe, but Easter weekend is just two weeks away. And so I um, would encourage you to invite friends, invite neighbors, invite coworkers to come and be a part of uh, what we're expecting to be a great weekend together, celebrating not only the death, but also the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, last but not least, um, just want, I'll wish a happy birthday to Hannah right here. Yay! She's number 15 today. So those are my little announcements. I won't embarrass her anymore. But uh, if you are new with us, uh, we've been making our way through 1 Timothy. And um, it's, a, it's a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul to his disciple Timothy. And it's specifically focused on how to lead the church. And it's a series that we've entitled Order in the House. Order in the House. And if you've not been with us the last few weeks, we've been walking through chapter 2 and how God has... Has created men and women equal yet different in glorious, wonderful ways, equally created in the image of God, equally loved and redeemed by Christ, equally promised to inherit all of the blessings of God for his children. And at the same time, God's created us differently. Uh, we are to demonstrate that uniqueness as men and women in different ways, with men faithfully and sacrificially leading in the home and in the church, and women graciously and lovingly nurturing and caring for the family, uh, their family, and also for the family of God, and really in whatever context God has placed women. And so as we move into chapter 3 today, the Apostle Paul wants to take a deeper dive into this topic of leadership, and he wants to make it abundantly clear that God has placed a high priority, not just on any type of man to lead the church, but only qualified men. And as we're going to see, unlike the world, God places his priority not on the most gifted men, but on the most godly men. In other words, God is looking for godliness more than giftedness to use to build up his church. And so if you're thinking, I'm just not very gifted, if you're pursuing godliness, God can use you in amazing ways. And can I just tell you, um, we have some of the most godly men here at Four Oaks. Uh, when, when my wife and I, we were first visiting Four Oaks back when we were in college, uh, one of the things that drew us to Four Oaks was we saw this group of men that we call elders. And uh, I just admired them from afar. Um, but then coming on staff at Four Oaks, um, I've been able to see them up close and personal. 
to see how they love their God, to see how they love their family and how they, so they see how they love the family of God here at Four Oaks. And um, as I've meditated on this passage uh, about these qualifications of elders this week, I'm just filled with gratitude. And you should be as well for the leaders that God has, has given to us here at Four Oaks. But if we can be tempted um, when we hear a sermon about leadership to think that, oh, that doesn't really apply to me because I'm not a leader. But it, really it is for the whole church. Because the church rises and falls with its leaders. And usually the characteristics of the church will reflect the characteristics of its leaders. And so when you are listening to these qualifications that are found here in chapter 3, I want to encourage you to pray for your leaders, to hold your leaders accountable, to, to just build them up in their leadership. But also as you listen, I want you to listen for yourselves as well, because these qualifications, they're actually not like super special. They're just the qualifications and really the characteristics of any mature believer. And so as we're walking through these characteristics, be asking, God, would you, would you help me to grow in these attributes as well? And I also want to say some, something special for those of you who are young people here this morning. If you're a high schooler, if you're a college student, if you're a young adult, if you're newly married, I want you to especially listen to this morning because God may be calling some of you to lead his church. Um, for me, this, very this, this passage is very precious. And the first time it struck me was, I can't remember if Julia and I were, were, were dating and engaged or if we were actually married, but I'm going to show a picture here. If you guys don't recognize that bench, that is a particular bench. Um, it's actually in Tom Brown Park. And I remember sitting with Julia on that bench and, uh, and I was reading this passage in 1 Timothy 3, and I said, Julie, I have no idea what God has in store for me, but I'm really, I'm just, I'm just open to what God might have for me. And, uh, and I just want you to, I, wanna, I want you to pray that I would be able to fill, fulfill the qualifications that are here. Um, I, I'm really sensing maybe God is calling me to serve in the church in some sort of leadership way. And of course, I had no idea that it would be here at Four Oaks. Um, and then now here, fast forward, you know, coming on staff and then being on staff now for 15 years, it's, it's just come full circle for me to open up God's word. And, and there might be some of you this morning who you are really sensing, like, God, is, is God calling me? I want you to pay attention, all right? Pray that these words that were sweet to me then and convicting to me now um, that they would be sweet and convicting to you as well. So go ahead and stand. Uh, we're going to read this passage of Scripture. And in honor of God's word, let's, let's stand and do it. First Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let's pray. God, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us a heart that seeks to understand and apply your word this morning to our lives? Um, I pray for all of us as leaders that we would, we would truly fulfill the qualifications 
of the leaders that are found here, but I pray for all of us as the body of Christ that, that we would seek and aspire to these characteristics that are found here. We want to be more like Jesus. We want our church to shine Jesus. And so would you help us to do that, we pray, through the power of your spirit. Amen. You guys can take your seats. And as you do, today's sermon title is Leading God's Church. Leading God's Church, we're going to just make it easy for you. We're going to focus on four C's. So the call, the character, the capability, and ultimately the Christ. Okay? So call, character, capability, and Christ. First, the call of leaders. Verse 1. Paul starts out and he says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So Paul starts out and he says, Hey, there's this office of overseer. Elsewhere in the New Testament, in fact, um, in Titus, he gives a very similar sort of characteristics. And there he uses the word elder. And then over in Acts chapter 20, when Paul is giving instructions to the leaders of Ephesus, he uses the word pastor. So these words are really sort of interchangeable. Three words all to describe one office. And these three words are to really describe different aspects of the office. And so we're, we're seeing here the word office of overseer. But um, uh, that really more describes what the leader does. That he is to oversee, that he's to look after, that he's to keep watch on people's souls, that he's to oversee the local church. But this other word, elder, really more describes who the leader is, that he is to be a mature, qualified man. And the word pastor um, that we can also see, or maybe shepherd, that's really to demonstrate how the leader is to lead, that he's to act as a shepherd with care and with compassion and with humility and with service. So we get these three words, all describing one office, and a lot of times, in fact, most of the time, these words are used, they're actually used more in the plural than they are in the singular, to just, to, to, really to help us understand that what Paul has in mind is that when a group, it's a group of leaders that are lead the church, not just one man. That's what we have here at Four Oaks. We have a group of elders, um, we can also call them pastors, we can also call them overseers. And uh, one of our elders, Tom Thacker, he, he describes uh, the office in this way. I asked for all of our elders to kind of describe this office, and I thought his definition was great. An elder is a servant leader called to lead, instruct, protect, and care for the spiritual well-being of the church. A servant leader called to lead, instruct, protect, and care for the spiritual well-being of the church. That is the office of overseer. And Paul says that if you aspire to this office, you desire a noble task. That word noble can also be translated excellent or worthwhile or good or even beautiful. It's a good thing if you are desiring to lead in the church, a really good thing. If you are hearing even right now and you're sensing God's call, that is a good thing. This is what John Calvin had to say about this task. It is a high calling, though. He says, It's no light matter to represent God's Son in such a great task as erecting and extending God's kingdom and caring for the salvation of souls whom the Lord himself purchased with his own blood and ruling the church, which is God's inheritance. It is, it is a good thing, but it's also a high calling as well. 
It's not for the faint of heart. And so if you are sensing this internal call of God, that is wonderful. That is good. I encourage you to keep asking, keep pursuing, keep seeking after God. And I want you to encourage you too that God's calling is very creative. For me, it was was on a bench, right? Um, For for others, uh, like Charles Spurgeon, he was out in the woods. For Gideon, where was he? He was in a wine press threshing wheat. Uh, God is creative in how he calls leaders. It's a beautiful, wonderful call, but it shouldn't just be internal. You shouldn't just experience that calling internally. You should also sense that calling externally as people are walking alongside of you. This calling is not just for you, it's for others to encourage you with. And I was so grateful when I first started really sensing God's call for men who, who built me up. They didn't expect perfection, they just expected growth. Um, and they, they just really encouraged me along the way. Super encouraged that when I finally came on staff as the church, I really sensed that it wasn't just me pursuing this call, but it was this other group of men and women who are affirming that call as well. And so if you are sensing God's call, I would encourage you, seek after godly men and women and ask for their input and encouragement along the way. But more than anything, when we talk about this internal call and this external call, I want to make it abundantly clear that this call is not just to pursue an office or a work, but most importantly, it is to pursue Christ. We're first called to someone, not something. Edmund Clowney, he says it this way. He says, there is no call to the ministry that is not first a call to Christ. So you're not just pursuing a work. You're not just pursuing an office. You are pursuing the one who has called you. Our gospel identity is first one of sonship, not ministry leadership. And so if you are sensing God's call, I encourage you to spend time with your caller. Don't go into ministry thinking you're going to get something that you haven't already received from God himself. It's a call to Christ and to the gospel that fuels our call to gospel ministry. And our love for God overflows from his love for us. And it flows then into love for others. But even still, some of you, maybe many of you, as you're kind of wrestling potentially with this call, you might feel a little equipped. You might feel unprepared to serve. And I just want to encourage you, welcome to the club, right? You can join with Apostle Paul. He says, who is sufficient for these things? It is a high calling. But I want to encourage you that God the caller is even more committed to you fulfilling your call than you are. So take your eyes off of yourself and put your eyes upon the one who has called you, whether it's a call to pursue leadership in the church or it's a call to even pursue leadership overseas, to pursue leadership in your job, whatever it might be, whatever God has called you to, he will equip you and be faithful to give you the strength to fulfill that calling. Dave Harvey says it this way. He says, when we have a grip on the gospel, grace turns our eyes from our fears and weaknesses and places them on God. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He knows all of your weaknesses. He's all-loving. He is faithful. And he will equip you to the call that he has placed upon your life. So trust in him. 
continue to receive from the caller as the called. So that's the calling of a leader. Number two, the character of leaders. You know, desire is not enough. Beyond this call, there's also the character of the leaders that must be considered. And Paul starts out in verse two, he says, therefore an overseer must be, not can be or possibly should be, but he must be. It's not a suggestion. It is a requirement. And then this list of characteristics, as I said earlier, it's primarily about character. It's not primarily about giftedness. It's about godliness. And it's not, by the way, it's not an exhaustive list. It's just illustrative of the type of man that God is looking for to lead the church. Um, Some of them we're going to walk through one by one. Others we're going to kind of group together. But the first one he says is that the, the overseer must be above reproach. It also can be translated in the NIV, blameless. It's someone whose character and conduct is not to be, uh, acu- they're not to be accused of falling short of these attributes. They are free from accusation. They are blameless. They're not faultless or flawless, but they are blameless. There must be, must be nothing in a man's life that, that can take hold of him or attack him or the church. That, that Greek word means nothing to take hold of. It comes from the word of a boxer, a skillful boxer who is constantly avoiding the jabs from his opponent. And the idea here is that you, as a leader, you are able to avoid all of the accusations. None of, nothing can stick because you are above reproach. You are a qualified leader. Next, Paul says an overseer or elder must be the husband of one wife. It can also be translated one woman man, with the emphasis being on one. So it's not just a, a push against you know, it's really more than anything, it's a push against polygamy, which was very prevalent in that society. But the idea here is that you are a one-woman man, that you are sexually pure, that you're not looking at anything. You're not looking at anyone lustfully. That you have your eyes fixed upon your wife exclusively. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that you have to be married. Paul wasn't married when he wrote this. Timothy most likely was single when he was receiving this letter. Jesus himself was single. This also doesn't mean that you can't remarry. Sometimes an elder, his his wife passes away. He's free to remarry. Sometimes even as awful as it is, there can be the case of divorce. And while it's an absolutely awful thing and it it should be the absolute last resort, if if a man has followed the Lord faithfully, he can follow the instructions of Jesus in Matthew 19 and Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 that provide clear guidelines for biblical divorce and remarriage that can be done in a way that honors the Lord. And I wish I could get more into that, but, but the main idea that Paul here has is that an elder should be a one-woman man. He's to set his affections upon his wife alone, to be committed to purity, to zealously pursue one man with all, or one woman with all of his heart, not promiscuous, involved in a questionable relationship with a woman other than his wife. And as you know, marriage is the most probing test upon a man's character and his capabilities. And this is why when we are, we're talking to men about potentially their call to serve as an elder, we don't just talk to them, we talk to their, their wife because she's got all the goods, right? And this is, the, this is also the eject button. If a man is not faithful to his wife, if he's not leading his wife well, then we can't expect for him to be faithful or to lead the church well. I want to encourage you with this challenge you with this, man. Love your wife well. 
Keep your eyes focused on her. Regardless of whether you're pursuing leadership in the church or not, you should be leading your wife and loving your wife well. You are reflecting the love of Christ to the world. So not, excuse me, a husband of one wife. Uh, also talks about here, it says, sober-minded and self-controlled. So reminded just means kind of clear-headed, uh, not mentally or emotionally unstable, resting in Christ, a disciplined life, wise in decision-making, sober-minded, but also self-controlled. He has, a, has an ability to control himself. He's not given into passions and urges, but instead he's able to control those desires. You don't go into the pastoral or elder ministry looking for self-control because the pressure will crush you if you're not controlled by Christ. Along with that, it says not given to drunkenness, not a drunkard. And also along with that, not a lover of money. The idea that Paul has in mind here is that there's no substance but Christ that satisfies you. Uh, lover of money, by the way, it can, be pro- uh, can be applied broader, not just to uh, money, but really to greed. Are you content with Christ? Or are you seeking to be satisfied with other things besides God? These four words, they all have to do with what Kent Hughes, is call- Kent Hughes calls self-mastery. And he said, a godly leader should not be mastered by anything but the Lord. It's high calling, Right? Along with that, Paul says that they are to be respectable and hospitable. Respectable just means, like it says, worthy of respect, worth imitating, worth following. You should look at yourself and say, am I, am I worth following? If you're looking at a leader, you should say, I want, my, I want my son to be like that man. I want my daughter to marry a man like that man. But along with that, not just respectable, but hospitable, comes from the Greek word philoxenos. It means love of strangers. A lot of times we think about hospitality just being opening up your home and welcoming people in, and that's absolutely true. But pastors should also know and welcome and love the lost, strangers, outsiders, people who are outside of the flock of God. And it's in this hospitality that an elder and his family displays his generosity, their, their closeness, their intimacy, their, their love, their vulnerability. And if a man is not hospitable, he's not called. He doesn't understand the fact that he has been welcomed in. He has been shown hospitality by God. He has been welcomed in as a stranger and brought into the family of God. Here in hospitality, we also think that it just has to have a nice, nice house. That's what hospitality looks like. But who's the most hospitable person ever walked the planet? Jesus. Did he have a house? No. So hospitality is not just about a place. It's about the person. Jesus, when he talked to people, he listened to them. He welcomed them. He was not distracted by other things or other people. He focused specifically on that person. He said, I want to know you. I want to, I want to, be, I want to just be present with you. That is a hospitable man. And that's what we're called to as brothers and sisters in Christ to show hospitality to whoever we meet. It's demonstrating our actions. It's demonstrating our attentiveness. It's demonstrating our words, not just in our, our nice, clean houses. So respectable, hospitable. Next group of characteristics. So he's not to be violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. 
So he can't be a hothead. He can't be violent. Punching is bad. You don't want to do that, okay, if, you're, if you want to be a leader. A man's anger never helps the work of God. It only hinders it. And along with that, shouldn't be quarrelsome. That word can also be translated contentious. Do you like to argue over mundane things rather than important things? Do you always like to play the devil's advocate? doesn't mean you can't take another side, but are you constantly brewing up more strife and anguish between you and another person? Are you, are you trying to pursue fights and quarrels? God says, no, that's not the, that's not the place of a leader. A, a leader is to provide peace. He's to pursue gentleness. Gentleness is a sign of strength not weakness. When you're tempted to maybe engage in the fight and you're saying, no, I'm going I'm to have self-control. I'm going to pull back. I'm just going to love this person. I'm going to be patient with this person, forbearing with this person the way that Jesus has been towards us all of our lives. We want to be like Jesus who looks out upon the crowd and sees them with, like sheep without a shepherd and say, I have compassion on my people. That's the way we want to be. You know, Job, um, we often think about him being a sufferer, and he definitely was that, but he was also a leader. Um, Eliphaz, his friend, says this about him in Job chapter 4. Behold, you have admonished many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have helped the tottering to stand, and you have strengthened feeble knees. We have weak people within the church. We have feeble people within the church. We have people who are tottering to stand, and we who are leaders are called to come alongside of them to strengthen them with our words and with our works, to let them know that they're not alone. That's the call of a leader. And last but not least, it says that this leader must not be a recent convert. doesn't mean that somebody who's a new believer can't be called to lead, but we need to be very clear and very careful about putting them in a position of leadership before they are ready. They need to be mature in their faith. They need to be tested in their character. They need to be humble. A lot of times when we put too much leadership load upon someone too early on, they fall. They're tempted to pride and conceit. We want to be very careful about someone who is young in the faith and giving them a place of leadership until they are ready. Elders are to be full of godly character. This is what Dave Harvey says about this list. He says, Among all the biblical requirements for the called man, gospel-empowered character seems to be most prominent. By the way, I love that. Gospel-empowered character. It's not just you, but it's Christ in you, enabling you to become more and more like him. Uh, This will be revealed in everything from the nuance of his word choices to the cravings behind his big decisions. Amazingly, these requirements also demonstrate the depth of God's love. It's almost as if God is saying, only the highest godliness is eligible to tend my dearest possession, my people. So this is a high list of characteristics, but God wants the best for his church. God wants the best for you. So that's the character of leaders. And if you are sensing conviction, (laughs) know that you're not alone in this. I think we're all convicted to grow more and more in godliness the way that God is himself. That's number two, the character. Number three, the capabilities of leaders. Like a shepherd, elders are called to lead, to care for, to protect, and to provide for the flock of God. In particular, we see two capabilities here. 
Verse 2, um, it says that this office of overseer, this elder, should be able to teach. And then down in verse 4, it says he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Let's talk about the, the second one first, managing his household. This man should be able to lead his home. We've already talked about his marriage, but now we want to talk about his home. The word for management means to lead. It means to protect. It means to provide. It has this idea of overseeing your home. You've got to provide for it. You've got to care for it. You've got to protect and and lead it well. If a man can't manage his own household, how is he going to be able to manage the household of God? The Puritans used to call every man as a leader of his family. He would call them a pastor. He was a pastor over his little flock his little group of of children and wife, and he was called to pastor his little flock well. So we're called to be as men. Doesn't mean, by the way, that that every single child needs to be be a believer, but it does mean that all children, it says to be submissive, to be honoring, to be respectful, to love their dad. So it's really important. So many men have offered up their children on the altar of ministry. We hear of hero stories of missionaries who go off to the mission field. And yes, they do accomplish great things, but I think they could have accomplished much more if they'd actually loved their family well. They give up their kids for the sake of greener pastures and loving other people. That's not right. My first priority in ministry should always be my wife and my kids. You men, your first priority should always be your wife and your kids. My second family is my Four Oaks family. I was listening to Alistair Begg, and uh, he talks about his kids, though, and I love this. Um, He said, you know, uh, uh, sometimes he would go off on what he calls these verbal voyages, um, which is basically upset, and he's talking lots and lots, and he's getting angry. He's like, how could you do that, you know? And he would go off for a few minutes for his, his pastoral teaching. My kids like to call it that. It's, Dad, thanks so much for teaching us, right? And so at the end of his, what he called his verbal diatribe, his son would often say, and that's another kind word from your pastor. <laughs> and uh, I just, I was struck by that because kids are not to be a hindrance to ministry, but a help to ministry. And my kids have held me accountable. I remember one time in particular, just a few summers ago, and we were going through the book of Proverbs and this instruction from a dad to his kid. And I was like, hey, how, are, how am I doing? How are we doing? And uh, our, our kids had some, some tough words for us. And at first it was, it was convicting. It was humbling. It was, I was ready to put my dukes up. And I was like, no, but this is good. If, if I'm listening to my kids, this is going to help me not only love them better and lead them better, but it's also going to help me to love and lead the church better too. And so you men, you are, to call, you are called to lead your home well. Let your kids speak into your lives. Also along with that, able to teach. Um, this doesn't necessarily mean everybody needs to be up on stage preaching to a large group. Uh, an elder can also be preaching or, or teaching or, or leading in a small group or a class or even one-on-one The purpose behind this able to teach means that he is able to articulate the truths of the gospel. He's able to protect and guard the flock from false teaching. He's able to help people to open up the scriptures and to apply them to their lives. And his life and his doctrine must match up. He's trustworthy. He's applying the scriptures to himself. I love what it says of um, 
Ezra the priest in Ezra 7, 10, it's one of my favorite verses about teaching. He says, says that Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach it. In other words, he says right off the bat, he's like, I'm preparing my heart to first listen to God's word, then to apply it to myself, and then to teach it. Not just in my head and then out of my mouth, but in my head, into my heart, into my life, and then share it with my flock. It's what I'm called to as a, as a pastor. I'm called to, to listen to God's word, to apply it to my life. If I'm not applying it to my life, it's not going to be good for you. We're called to do that. An elder is to study the word, to apply the word, and then to teach the word. Uh, I was reading a biography of a guy named John Hyde. Uh, his name, he's also known as Praying Hyde. He was a missionary over in India. He led the church there. And uh, I love what was said about him from uh, one of the men who he taught. It says, His Bible was always in his hand. Even when, he, when we had our morning cup of tea, he regaled me with manna from the word. When he knelt to pray, the dear old book was always open before him, and his hands rested on it, face to face with the Lord and resting on his promises. Christ was his very life, and wherever he went, Christ was revealed. He would open up the word, and he would ask for God to speak. He would pray the word. He was a man of the word, and he introduced people to the word, but not just the written word, to the very word, Jesus Christ. As he not only opened the word, but as he applied the word to his life. When they met John, they met Christ in John. And that's what we're called to. That should be our holy endeavor to, to display and to preach Christ wherever we go. And may this not just be true among our leaders, but really of all of us as believers. That when people meet you, do they meet Christ? That's what will be our gift to our world. We don't want to give them ourselves. We want to give them Christ. It's a glorious call, right? It's a high call, but it is a good, noble call to lead the church. But if you're anything like me, you are probably thoroughly convicted and challenged as you compare your life to the life of a qualified leader found here in 1 Timothy. And so first, I just want to encourage you, if you're convicted in a particular way, confess your sin to the Lord. Bring your sin to him. Ask him to forgive you of your sin and to enable you to live for him. Remember, Jesus didn't just die to pay for the punishment of your sin, but, in, but died also to remove the power of sin in your life, enabling you to live more and more like him. So I encourage you, confess your sin. But along with that, as you're listening to these words, I really ask that you would pray for us as leaders. Um, in particular, uh, I asked for elders just to share some prayer requests with you. And so they shared three with me. I want to share with you this morning. One is just pray for discernment and wisdom. It's, it's complex. It's challenging. It's, it's, it's tiring sometimes to know what to do and, to, and how to help and come alongside of people in their needs. And so just pray for discernment and wisdom from the Lord. Second, pray for unity. It can be very tempting for us to focus on what the world thinks is important rather than what God thinks is important. Most importantly, the gospel and how to apply it to our lives. And so pray for unity regarding that. And third, pray for protection against the schemes of the enemy. There's warnings here in verses six and seven. The devil is always on the prowl. He's always looking to take out leaders because when he takes out leaders, he takes out the church. 
So pray for protection on our marriage. Pray for protection on our family. Pray for protection against the enemy and whatever schemes he might be seeking to tempt us with. And one thing, one last thing I want to mention to you is to pray for a particular elder this week. If you didn't know this, one of our elders, Kent Hamilton, and his wife, Jan, they lost their grandson just a few days ago to a tragic car accident. Um, and so uh, Christian was really raised in the church here. If you know the backstory, um, Jan and Kent have just loved Christian so much and 18 years old, his whole life ahead of him. And so you just pray for the Hamilton family this week. Pray for comfort for them. Pray for Mary, Christian's mom. Pray for Chris, his dad. Lift them up this week. Uh, I pray that your prayers would hold them up this week. So pray. But last and most important, I want to remind you and me that where we fall short, there is one who stands under the weight of this glorious call of church leadership perfectly, and that is Jesus Christ. And so we're not just called to confess and to pray, but also to behold Jesus. That's number four, Christ. He is our ultimate leader. While I look at this list and I'm full of conviction, uh, I also look at this list and I'm full of joy because I see Christ here. He is the one who is above reproach. He's blameless in every way. There's no accusation that can stick with him. Jesus is also the ultimate one-woman man who nourishes and cherishes and gives his life for his bride. He's also sober-minded and self-controlled. He's reliable. He's trustworthy. He's calm under pressure. He's respectable. He's dignified. He's full of goodness. He's perfectly hospitable. He welcomes everyone into his presence regardless of race or ethnicity or socioeconomic status or gender or past or even present. He welcomes all people into his presence. He's not violent or quarrelsome or greedy, but he's gentle and kind. He's content and humble. He's patient and forgiving. And he and his father love their household well. They protect and provide and lead and feed their kids. And Jesus is well thought of, not just by people inside the church, but outsiders as well, including Pilate, who put him to death, but said, I find no guilt in this man. You see, where Jesus, where we fall, Jesus stands up to that calling of the perfect leader. And he stands in our place where we fall short. He gives to us his perfect righteousness. And he is the one who is the ultimate leader of the church. He's the one who is the chief shepherd. He is the one who's the elder and the overseer of Four Oaks Community Church. What a sweet gift that is when we fall short, that we know that Jesus never falls short. And one other beautiful thing, though, is as we behold him, we become more like him. The end of 1 Corinthians 3 says, uh, the Apostle Paul, he says, that when you behold the glory of the Lord, you become like him from one degree of glory to the next. And this comes about through the work of the Spirit. And so if you are sensing conviction over this passage of Scripture more than anything else, it's not try to do better and work harder. And most importantly, it's I want to pray that you would see the glory of the Lord, that you would see Christ, the ultimate shepherd, the one who shepherds your soul perfectly and completely, who never fails, even when you and I fail. And out of beholding him, we become more like him. 
And we're able to fulfill that calling wherever God calls us, whether it's in our home or it's in our church or it's in our workplace or it's in our schools or it's in our community or it's even across the world. And so I want to end where we began. The call to leadership is first a call to Christ. And so today, may we run to him. Amen? Let's pray.